Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast presented as always by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking to Arnold Herr. He's the COO, the Chief Operating Officer of GenG. Arnold, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Really excited to talk to Arnold. We're going to be talking about GenG's new CSGO team, um, why that game is such an important esport for an organization to have. Uh, a unique new NBA 2K team from the company that's really interesting to me. Uh, the transition from Samsung Galaxy over to Gen G, and how an esports organization chooses what games they want to compete in. So, Arnold, I'll turn it over to you. How do you describe Gen G as an esports organization? What makes the company different from some of the others out there? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like uh, there's a lot of esports teams out there. Uh, and I think a few things that distinguish us. Um, you know, from everybody else is one, uh, if you look across the board, like everybody's kind of doing the same thing, right? So I think a lot of people look at esports organizations and despite different logos or different brands, uh, if you look at the fundamental business and what they really focus on, it's really different, right? You've got uh, people that really focus on media and content. You've got uh, people that really focus on merch, like 100 Thieves, and they do an amazing job. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't do those things or Every other esports organization doesn't do those things. Um, but I would say that we're a little bit different from those guys. Um, and there's two things that we're really different on. Um, first off, you know, if you look at kind of the umbrella of what we're really trying to do, um, you know, we always say, and this is kind of a cliche, but you know, our goal is to really develop people through games, right? Uh, and what we mean by that is we try to think about this from a pro level, but all the way down even to an amateur level. Um, so at a pro level, we really try to give the right resources, the infrastructure, uh, and find the best gamers in the world, all over the world, wherever they are, right? And we try to figure out how we can find the best way to develop them. So, you know, for us, that means that we have to bridge the gap between East and West. You know, you look at gaming, you look at esports, the best, the ga best gamers in the world are not in just one country, right? They're in Asia, they're in the U.S. So our goal is how do we bridge both the East and West? and this amazing pool of gamers, and how do we actually enter in and start developing these gamers uh, so that they can actually become uh, better esports athletes, right? And so that's really the fundamental thesis. Um, so everybody, you know, it's really funny, like people in the U.S. say like, oh, they're a Korean organization. People in Korea or, or even China, they say, oh, that's an American organization. So I really think it's kind of funny, but that's, to us, that tells us we're doing the right thing. <laughs> It's really important to be a global esports organization. We're seeing more and more companies expanding to other markets. Fnatic trying to move into India, uh, Immortals with Brazil, G2 opening new offices in New York, really trying to do a little bit of that uh, bridging the gap between different markets. And you mentioned how Gen.G is pretty unique. It's kind of crazy because you think about the LCK as one of the most important esports leagues in the world. Obviously, League of Legends is... Uh, the most popular global esport, and LCK dominated it for a very long time. You could argue LPL might actually be taking the crown with back-to-back -back yep, champions yep, now. Yep. Uh, but of all the LCK teams, very few of them are familiar to people outside the League of Legends world. They, uh, they're really good at League of Legends, or outside Korea, I guess I should say, because they haven't really jumped over to the West. So... What made Genji special? Why? When were you guys like, hey, we need to really start expanding our reach? And why do you think some of the other teams in the LCK haven't done that as much? Um, so 
you know, I guess going back to kind of our original thesis about, you know, we only want to enter into anything um, or do anything if we feel like we can have an impact, especially around the development of either the league, the team or the players. Right. Uh, Usually they're all, you know, uh, they're all kind of moving together. Um, So for us, you know, when we looked at the LCK, that was actually one of the same things that we said was, you know, we're like, okay, these are the best esports athletes in the world. Like if you believe League of Legends is kind of the the largest esport in the world uh, and you believe and look at who's winning at at least back then uh, when we entered, um, you can say like, okay, there's a gap here between how much impact they should have and how much we should be excited and learn about the stories here uh, versus uh, what we actually know about what's going on in LCK, right? So, you know, we felt like that we could be the first to come in and really start bridging that gap, um, really start, you know, even just doing the fundamentals around, okay, you're releasing content. How do we level up that content? How can we actually have English subtitles so that people actually know what's going on? Um, so, you know, we kind of thought that this was a unique opportunity for us. It was kind of crucial to our thesis about why we should be entering in into Korea. Uh, and so in terms of that, I, 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 you know, that was kind of always been the has always been the plan. Um, the one thing that I have noticed is that other teams are now starting to follow. Obviously, you see. Uh, T1 move in uh, with SKT Uh, and, you know, they're doing something very similar where they're kind of realizing, hey, the the biggest esports markets in the world are in the U.S. and in Asia. Uh, How do we actually do both? Right. And so for us, you know, I think you're going to start seeing more and more interest in LCK, especially among, uh, you know, either within from Korea to try to expand uh, abroad or from abroad trying to go in into LCK because, you know, it's a really special place. Uh, I think there's a lot of pros and cons, uh, but in terms of the pure talent level, uh, it, it, I think it's, it's still amazing. Uh, I, do, I do agree with you that the LPL uh, has overtaken the LCK at least momentarily. Oh, um, it's, it's, it's overtaken. It's not even, uh, you think they're the best division. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm gonna get crucified in in Korea for saying this, but I was gonna um, say it. Full take. <laughs> um, but no, I I believe it, right? Like uh, I I actually believe that the LPL has been moving faster in development and infrastructure, uh, and everything that you need, uh, in order to create a a more competitive league, right? And, and I think you're now starting to see Korea realize that, uh, and say, wow, we we just got punched and knocked out a couple times. You know, we don't want a TKO. Um, so, you know, they're now making the inf- improvements, right? Like, I, I think you're starting to see the, the, the moves that we made, for instance. Um, you know, when we first came in, you know, I no, everybody was just in team houses. There was no training facility. Uh, it, it was very much uh, an, uh, a little bit unprofessional in terms of how everything was, uh, was handled. Um, but, you know, we came in and we said, you know, we're going to try to treat these at Treat these athletes as athletes, right? Treat these professionals as professionals. Uh, and so we actually created a, a training facility and we said, okay, we're going to go and, and build the best facility so that we can attract the best talent and, you know, create the best results. Uh, and, and so far it's worked, right? Like we we were the first to really come in and say, all right, we're going to actually create like workout regiments for these guys. <laughs> Not everyone follows them to, to a T, but uh, we have like personal trainers for every single one of our athletes. Right. And, and, and for me, like I know a lot of people would say like, ah, it doesn't matter. But I believe that if you start investing in players for the long run, that's definitely going to help um, one, to like deal with stress, uh, but also to improve longevity. 
because yeah, it's been proven across the board. Uh, and this is right from my time when I worked at Google. Like there were actual studies done that showed that if you invest in people's health, that they are actually more productive, they do better, um, they are happier, uh, and they last longer with the company. Right? Like I saw the stats. So, you know, I, I, it just made a lot of sense for us to do the same. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's something that Nike is really focusing on with their new partnership with the LPL, bringing some of the guys, uh, UZI, out to uh, Oregon, where I'm from, to go through some physical fitness tests. And the goal basically being, hey, these guys need to play past 25. Uh, if we want to build generational stars in esports, if we want to uplift the esports scene as a whole, we need our players to play to at least 30. That shouldn't be a crazy, unreachable age for players to play at. And obviously there's fast switch muscles and different things that go into uh, why people are retiring so early. But I think, yeah, that physical fitness focus is a huge part of it, is the grind of playing and the different metas and changes that esports players constantly have to keep up with. It just takes a toll on them. After five, six years playing at the highest level, they're just tired of it. But I do think physical fitness uh, and putting a focus on, you know, maybe it's you play eight hours a day. You don't play 12 right. every single day. And is that training actually going to be better for you? It might sound counterintuitive because it's less time in the game. But is there a sweet spot of the amount of time you can play and then actually go work out for two hours? Yeah. And is that a better use of your day? Are you going to be more successful with that use of your day than just grinding the game for 12 hours? And I think the answer quite possibly might be yes. Well, well the other thing too, right, is like you can't waste time. It, it, even if you're putting in 12, you can't waste time, right? Um, so I, I kind of view it as, um, you know, one thing that's really good about the, the practice regimen in Korea, it's very structured. If you have the right coaching regimen, uh, and our coach, Edgar, is amazing about this, is that, you know, we they come in and there's a schedule, right? And that schedule has basically like uh, scrim blocks of like everybody else, uh, but also kind of like, all right, once scrim blocks are over, here's what you can do on, on solo queue and kind of gives specific things to work on to the player. And the player decides, okay, I'm going to put in six hours afterwards, or I'm going to put in 30 minutes afterwards, right? Whatever the player decides, right? But even whatever the time they decide, they, there are specific, like, detailed points on what they are going to work on, right? So they're not just solo queuing, uh, which is, oh, I'm just going to, like, try to grind, right? They're, they're queuing and grinding with a purpose, which is very different, right? Like, it's it's like if you play any professional sports. Like, I, I, I suck at sports. Uh, I got cut from the, my varsity basketball team, so uh, I ended up having um, But, you know, um, it's like if you're trying to play basketball, right? You're working on you're working game speed on let's say your jumper right like uh and, and like your mid-range jumper right you're not just playing pickup ball right so that's that's kind of the difference is that you know i've noticed that you know at least in terms of the korean training regimen at, at the highest level it's very structured so that you're not wasting your time um versus i've noticed some other training regimens that are more like yeah, they're just going to go play solo queue or they're playing Fortnite after. Like, it's just not, that's not going to get you to the highest level. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I think that's uh, something Korea really enjoys thanks to the decades that they've focused on esports. Uh, KESPA formed in, what, 2000, wasn't it? The Korean government being like, yeah, we recognize esports is a big thing, which really gave the country a massive leg up and allowed them to professionalize way quicker 
than other regions. Was it Kespa? That is that the name of the yep. Korean yep. Esports Association, right? I think though, you know, you actually bring up a good point. The leg up is in sports. There's something called like the winner's curse, right? Um, so that's the problem, though. And I think you're, you're touching a good point that in Korea um, there was they, they had the they had a head start, right? Mm-hmm. And, and once you're in the lead, you, you slow down because you don't have somebody to chase after, right? It's like running track. Right. So um, this is going to be the first time where Korea actually sees the LPL ahead of them uh, and either got to step up or, you know, it's going to be the second league. Right. It's not going to be the Premier League. Yeah, it's that it's that motivating factor. Welcome back to the Esports Network podcast. We had to take a quick break to welcome in Nathan Stans. He's the general manager for Gen G in the United States. So welcome to the podcast, Nathan. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Now we've got Arnold and Nathan. We're talking full Gen G right now. Uh, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's change gears a little bit. So new CSGO team from just a week ago. I'll run through the roster real quick. They got Kusta. Daps and Automatic, uh, former Cloud9 players, and then Elma Putty as coach. They're announcing two more players uh, soon. Is that coming in a couple weeks? Yes, yeah, so we announced one more player. It was a transfer of Psalm, Sam O from Envy. Uh, and then there's okay, one okay. more favorite player that we'll be announcing in the coming weeks. Very nice. So what were you looking for when you were getting into a CSGO team? What kind of players were you targeting? Yeah, so we have, as an organization, our goal was to expand out of Korea into other markets that we thought were valuable, where we could really engage esports fans and win championships. We saw that in China with our Clash Royale team. We saw that in the U.S. with Call of Duty and Fortnite. And we thought CSGO was an opportunity to get into a tier one game, a game with tons of fans, a game that we feel as an organization we can provide the kind of support that allows players to succeed. And so what better place to do that than in the U.S.? And what better roster to do that with than a roster that had a major winner in Tim Automatic, uh, Damian Daps, who has built other top five rosters in the United States and is one of the best in-game leaders, and Kusta, a player they both wanted to play with and who's been one of the better support players in the U.S. And a scrim god, I have to say. Yeah, it's going to be an impressive roster, so I'm looking forward to watching them play at what's going to be the first major event you guys compete in. Yeah, we're playing in the IEM qualifiers right now. We have another match uh, today or, or Friday, whatever day this, this goes live. So hopefully we make it into the closed qualifiers. And in early January, we play through that and qualify for the main event. Fantastic. I'm really excited about it. So as you move into the U.S., what are some of the benefits that you have from being an organization with such a heralded history in Korea, uh, something that no other U.S.-based org uh, can really say what are some of the benefits that brings as you expand to the U.S. market? Um, well, I guess there's kind of the, the the tangible things, and I can talk more about that. And then uh, probably uh, Nathan, uh, probably Nate knows a little bit more about you know what he's seeing like kind of on the ground. Um, so it, it, it's I always say like I try not to be like too foo foo about stuff, but it's more like practical stuff about yeah we've been there before, we've done it before, um, but we also know it's not exactly the same. Um, in the U.S. or or in Korea, um, so you know small things, right? Like we're, we built a training facility in Korea, uh, and we realized when we built scrim rooms over there that it was really really loud, especially because uh, our Seoul Dynasty guys were insane in terms of how loud they were. Um, so we realized, oh, we got to soundproof this thing a lot better, right? And so we were doing it in post. Uh, but here in the U.S., 
you know, right off the bat, we're like, all right, we need soundproofing here, soundproofing there. We need these doors that are a little bit more uh, soundproof, right? So, you know, things like that, like the fact that this is our second time around in actually building the infrastructure and building kind of physical training programs that actually work uh, for players. So good example, even on the physical training program is that we realized that, you know, just giving them gym memberships and saying, hey, you should work out or saying there's a workout schedule had very little impact in terms of their actual health. Um, so one thing that we did was actually we, you know, like I told you, we got personal trainers for each person so that they can be held accountable, but they can also have somebody to help them learn how to work out because a lot of these guys haven't worked out before. Um, so that kind of comes in terms of the tangible things where, you know, we, we, we have a lot of these things that we know how to do because we've done them before. But I also think there's a lot of the intangible stuff, right, of having worked with the top pro esports athletes in the world. So we know what kind of values that we value. Right. And we always try to kind of find those values uh, all around the world, whether it's in China, uh, you know, where we've done some expansion uh, or in the U.S. Um, so for us, it's really about finding kind of that work ethic. Right. In, in terms of people that want to get better and want to find an organization that will give them all the tools to get better. Right. And I think that's one area that, you know, we don't compromise on is we look for you know, not just the people that are the champions or that has the best output. But we look for the people with the best kind of input about, okay, these guys really have the right mindset to go grind. And we're going to try to give them all the resources they can have and let them and the coach like get out of the way of the coach and the player, right? So we always try to try to find that, like that inner Mamba mentality. I'm a big Lakers fan. So, you know, that, that's something that, that we always look for. And then probably uh, Nate can talk a little bit more about what he sees on the ground of having kind of a link back into Korea or into kind of a global esports organization, what that means. Yeah, yeah, real quick on that mentality, you notice it in traditional sports, you bring up Mamba mentality, the organizations that are the most successful consistently, the Patriots, the Spurs, uh, they're looking for the for the Not guys. The, the Lakers, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah. The Lakers are great, but the Lakers just attract the biggest That's stars regardless. I would I, say I the on, the Spurs turned people into stars in a way that... All right, uh, all right I'll accept that. <laughs> the Lakers are amazing. You guys, what, lost three games this year? You're great. But you're great because you brought LeBron and Anthony Davis on. <laughs> That's not a cheat codes, right? <laughs> you're great. I can't be... I'm a Blazer fan, so you're not getting any Laker love here. I'm sorry. Uh but that's that mentality thing is what separates some of the perennially really great franchises. That's what they're looking for out of players. And they that brings consistent success. You can catch a flash in the pan by getting really great players in, uh, but then they might not be able to have that longevity that you're looking for. So I just wanted to jump in real quick with that traditional sports analogy as we're talking basketball. Yeah, to add on to that, I think our goal here is always to build and not buy. We did it in Fortnite when we were looking at the scene. You know, there was the opportunity to go out there and try and put in high bids for the Tifus of the world. But instead, why not do something different? Can we give these women players who don't, aren't afforded the same opportunities as men the opportunity to compete at the highest level? And we saw tremendous success with Tina not only winning Twitch Rivals at TwitchCon, but getting MVP. We're going to do the same thing in CSGO. Yes, Tim has won a major in the past, but these other players, a lot of them still want to prove themselves as the top echelon of players, especially ones like Song, who's 17 years old, and this fifth player who's coming in, he's taking a tremendous opportunity to come to the U.S. So always here to build. Definitely. And so I'm glad you brought up the Fortnite team because that was my favorite brand partnership of 2020 
in esports. It was uh, the partnership with Bumble for the all-female Fortnite team made so much sense. So people who are familiar, Bumble is an app, sort of like Tinder, uh, that basically gives women the first step. You match up, but then the person who's female or identifies as female uh, sends the first message. So it really made a lot of sense for the all-female Fortnite team. And then very soon after, Tina wins the Twitch Rivals at TwitchCon. So just a perfect all-around partnership there. Yeah, and I think I don't want to. I've been in esports for a long time, but this is probably the most on-brand partnership I've ever seen. Both our team, our staff, and Bumble all want to do anything we can every day to make sure that Tina, Maddie, Carly, and Hannah are supported, to make sure that they're competing at the highest level, to make sure that no one out there is holding them down. Absolutely, and it's it's a rare partnership because they're sort of the sponsor of the team. It's the the Bumble Genji Fortnite team. You know, they're not just one of a array of sponsors that's tied to a team it's this is like it's their team in a sense it's genji's team it's bumble's team Uh, is that that's sort of the nature of the partnership right it's pretty unique in that sense yeah absolutely so it's not just they are one of many people it is the team bumble you know put together by genji run in partnership there is a they are in it day to day it's it's really cool to see a company jump into esports organization like that i think it's a partnership that makes a lot of sense. It fits for both uh, the Gen G brand. Uh, it helps uplift women gamers, and it fits uh, for the Bumble brand, obviously. So it's it's rare you hit every single pillar where it's uplifting. It's a good thing for the community. It's a good thing for the team, and it's a good thing for the brand. The, those three check marks are actually really tough to get for every single brand activation. Yeah, and I think it's because it's a lot of hard work. Most companies out there, you look at like a Coca-Cola or something, they're just too big or they don't have the right staff in place that, are will, that can get in there and help organize and operate an esports team. But Bumble was willing to shoulder that hard work, and I think we've seen tremendous success because of it. Yeah, so I wanted to switch gears a little bit uh, and talk about the NBA 2K team. This is a really unique partnership as well. Uh, the NBA 2K, uh, NBA 2K League is... Uh, tied to the NBA intrinsically. Every single team before Gen G got added was tied to an NBA franchise. And now we're two seasons through the NBA 2K League and Gen G has announced that they are going to be operating uh, a Shanghai team, but based out of Los Angeles just for practicality purposes. And I'm really curious, where did this one come from? Because it feels sort of out of left field. You've got all these different NBA teams, then Gen G's like, no, we're also going to field a team in this league. Yeah, so we felt like there was a a really interesting case here. Like we said, kind of going back to the original thesis, we only want to come in when we feel like we can have an impact um, that's very unique, right? And so we looked at the NBA 2K League and we realized, well, one, it it hit a couple check marks. Do you have the right owners uh, and the right partners in the league? Obviously, the NBA is a great owner and great partner of the league, right? So for us, um, you know, that fit, that check mark was hit and we said, OK, we can come in and really help build two things. One, uh, a, a broader global audience, which we know how to do, uh, especially in probably one of the, the largest basketball markets in the world and most largest gaming market in the world uh, in China. Right. Uh, as yeah. well, the other thing that we felt that we could do is we knew and understand and live and breathe esports. Right. Versus the NBA teams, maybe they're only thinking about esports as a subdivision of say the Lakers, right, or or the Clippers or, or what have you. So for us, we felt like there was a really unique opportunity for us to help build that global bridge between, I guess, west to east, uh, as well as 
we wanted to really try to double down and figure out like, okay, as an esports team, how can we come in and be a little bit different? How can we take a little bit more risks? How can we do something that's uh, maybe not as easy to do for a traditional NBA, you know, however many years old franchise to do versus us, we're we're younger, uh, we can take more risks and we can try more things uh, to figure this out. Obviously, this is our first year. It's going to be a tremendous challenge to to you know come in and, and compete at the highest level in the first year. Um, but we know we have the right ingredients to really start building that and, and be competitive for the long run there. I'm really excited to see how your organization uh, does things because I spent a little time in the NBA 2K League working for Blazer 5 Gaming, the, the local team. And especially in season one, they were the most dominant team in the league. And I was talking to the general manager a little bit and he built his team way differently uh, he sort of focused on that mentality aspect he was like these the guys that he picked were not projected draft picks uh as high as he picked them and his first overall pick ended up winning mvp year one one wild walnut shout out to Dwayne, uh <laughs> a great guy but he picked him because he was a a center at a juco he was actually playing basketball and he thought he had that team mentality that leadership mentality to help bring them in. And it looked like a lot of the other organizations didn't quite know what it took to build a successful esports roster. Generally, they were pretty bare bones operations at most places, an employee or two, a uh, team manager and somebody drafting and then an executive from the team helping out a little bit. So I think Gen G has a unique opportunity because they know how to do this. Like you said, NBA franchises do not know uh, how to build an esports roster, and it's not their first priority or their second priority or their third priority. But for Gen G, there's a unique benefit there, having done this and having built chip built championship esports rosters. I, I really am uh, excited to see how the organization does in the next year. How are you guys going to get players? How does that expansion work? I remember last year they protected two players. Uh, each team could protect two players, and then you had to draft from the rest. Is that? how it's going to work for you as an expansion team as well? Yes. Yeah, so we've already gone through the expansion draft. The next point okay. in uh, the team building of Gen G is going to be the traditional draft, which will be in late February, early March. We had a really unique strategy in the expansion draft and kind of decided to trade some of our picks. We came out of the expansion draft. There's a possibility of us coming out with three players. We came out with only one, Turn Up Defense, who was the lockdown defender on the eventual champions, T-Wolves Gaming. And we actually drafted other players or stole players from other teams and then traded them back to them for additional first round picks. So we're going into the traditional draft the com you know, after the combine loaded for bear, hoping to build our team completely from draft picks instead of veteran players. And, and this oh, is you went with the, the Sixers tanking strategy. You went with the long game. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Hey, hey, so, I mean, it's our first year, right? So we, we know we're really good at development of players, right? That's, that's kind of our bread and butter. Um, it's, it's funny because kind of our reputation in the West is that we come in and we just buy players. That's actually not ever been kind of our, what we do and what we focus on, right? Even if you look at our LCK team, you know, uh, you know, this year we had a very great free agency, but a lot of that was because we had two players that we, you know, brought up and developed in ruler and life from nothing. Right. And we have a coaching staff that we brought in and have developed over time. Right. So. Um, even in NBA, that's, that's what we said. We made the hard decision, uh, kind of the directive of, hey, guys, we know we're going to be better at development. Let's really focus in on that. Um, you know, we understand that there are challenges in the first year to come in running and gunning and going for the title. And 
we're not going to try to tank in the first year, but how do we come in and really pick the right people with the right mentality so that we can develop them and we can have build a history of development and support rather than, you know, going in and saying like, okay, which has the best roster? Let's just buy that, right? Like that's that's not our focus here. It's a really smart decision because NBA 2K as an esport is still pretty early stages. And so by going into future drafts, you can definitely imagine finding players that are going to be some of the absolute best players. Where if you were looking at uh, League of Legends or something, if say if League of Legends had a draft, you're going to have a couple prospects coming up. But generally, people are going to be very aware of who these best players are. Considering NBA 2K as an esport is still relatively small, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to find players who are young, who are incredibly talented, and who Gen G can really build up into being superstars in the league. Definitely. And that's not even mentioning the aspect that we are leading the scouting and development of China as a region, which is, as Arnold mentioned earlier, humongous basketball fans. If we can make NBA 2K as popular in China as it is in the U.S., we're going to have an endless pipeline of top talent, and we should hopefully be able to run the league in the next few years. That wouldn't even be fair if you're just the... That's our goal here, to not be fair to the other teams. I mean, just the the language varies because it's going to be so hard for those Western teams. If you were to do a team of all people in China, it'd be really hard for a different NBA team to then transfer completely to a, a Chinese roster. So if you were able to get those players, you would suddenly have a huge leg up. And like, given the popularity of esports in China and the success of Chinese players in a variety of games on the worldwide stage, it's not hard to see a, a team coming over from Shanghai and just wiping the floor with a bunch of other American squads. I, I'm, I'm excited for that. Still a long way away. We, we, did, a, we did a camp in China, uh, a training camp. Uh, we brought in, you know, uh, pro players and coaches and, and, you know, we did kind of like a pickup ball, basically an assessment and tryout. Uh, very raw, lots of talent, but very raw. Like the first day, it, it's it was literally like going in NBA 2K, uh, at, like as yourself, uh, and going in and, and playing the pickup ball mode, where it's like everybody's just trying to ball, get the ball, nobody's bothering passing. Like no, there's no semblance of offense. We came in and we're like, uh oh, but we sat down with all the players and we said, hey, let's run some fundamentals. By the second day, huge improvement. So we're like, all right. Clearly not ready right now, but, um, you know, given time and given the right structure, could be very ready. And, and like we said, even on our Fortnite partnership uh, and our Fortnite team, that's what we saw. We saw amazing talent, but they weren't put in any kind of structure, right? And, and, and we know and we've seen that if you get the right talent, that's undiscovered. But you put them in the right structure, you know, you're going to get great results, right? And so that's really kind of what we, uh, what we focus on and, and, and so far it's worked really well for us and hopefully it'll work well for us in NBA as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see it. Like I said, it, it's a really one of the more unique partnerships. I mean, you have all the American sports leagues jumping into esports, and I believe this, uh, this partnership is the only time it's a organization outside of an, a traditional sports franchise that is actually buying in to one of these leagues. So it'll be really interesting to see how that affects the league and how Gen G can can build a team and change attitudes towards esports in the leagues, maybe. Do you think we see some other esports organizations uh, following in your footsteps there and joining these leagues in the coming years? 
I hope so. I think there's a huge opportunity for a European organization to join the NBA 2K League. They actually play more 2K than even China at this point. So we would love to have some, you know, brothers in arms trying to expand the game and kind of proselytize across the, across the world. Even. I'm thinking uh, the G2 just announced a $10 million raise from the Brooklyn Nets owner, although Nets gaming might already exist. I didn't think about yeah, that. They, they already exist, unfortunately. So G2 won't be able to run, you know, like a Spanish team. But Rogue is a team that's gotten involved in a lot of esports lately. Maybe they won't want to do something. That'd be, that'd be really cool. <laughs> I would never leak anything on here. <laughs> Not leaking anything? You sure? <laughs> I'm sure. I, I will not put anything behind that. But I would love to see them in the league is what I'm saying. I love it. I love it. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to end on, I was really surprised. I was talking to a couple League of Legends fans. I'm not sure how serious they were, just friends and colleagues down here. And they somehow got lost in the transition from Samsung Galaxy uh, through KSV to Gen G. So I wanted to ask about that period in the company's history where they went from being, you know, one of the most famous uh, League of Legends teams in the planet, one of the most successful as well, uh, then through a different company and then landing on Gen G. Just take me through those years of the company. What was going on as you did that transition? Sure. Um, so, you know, typically when you go go into the world's most competitive esports league, um, you know, you're trying you already have kind of a setup company and you're trying to figure things out uh and you know you 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 kind of figure out like how to jump in right for us we had a a double challenge right which was one we were a brand new esports organization so we're trying to figure that out like how do we get incorporated how do we go get set up with the right staff and the right translators and the right team um the right office space uh and and on top of that we were heading into the most competitive league with a brand new entry into a brand, uh, not a brand new league, but a very competitive league. So we did face a lot of challenges. Uh, and we also found out that, you know, in terms of the right DNA fit, how do we make sure that the DNA fits, right? Um, so we actually faced a lot of challenges in terms of, let's say, how Samsung ran things, right? Like they had a zero marketing policy and they had, you know, kind of no real set esports kind of mentality, right? It was a marketing division of Samsung that ran this thing. So there weren't a lot of practices built in on the operational level, on the business level, uh, but definitely amazing things built on the competitive level. Um, And so over the last couple of years, we've been working really closely with Edgar and the right people. uh, And that's been something that's been really great for us has been, we said, okay, look, there isn't quite a DNA fit in terms of how Samsung ran things versus how we want to run things as, you know, I always told uh, as, as we're drinking soju and, and talking to Edgar, you know, I always joke around like, look, man, we can't sell TVs to to get this thing up and running, you know, so we got to go and figure out how we're going to build a business together on this thing. Um, and we really focus on bringing the right talent like Chihun, you know, really storied coach from KT. Um, we have Edgar, you know, one of the winningest coaches in DLCK. Uh, I think at this point, is he the winningest coach uh, with Goma in China? Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that was really special for us is that we came in, we, you know, really understood that we had to get the right people, that we had to learn the right things. Um, the transition was tough, uh, but now we're in a better state than ever before. You know, we've got a lockdown roster uh, and a roster built. Um, you know, with people that really want to play together with the right mentality, with the right things that we wanted to learn from the coach. Uh, we even do things like uh, we actually have a, a book session 
that we run every once in a while where I read a book. Um, you know, that, I think the most recent one we had was John Wooden's book. And me and Edgar were talking about it in kind of like a book club. <laughs> it is really cool. We, we, obviously, we do it over tons of soju. Uh, but, you know, like those kind of things I think are really special. And we've like now figured it out. Like, you know, we know where the boundaries are from professional versus marketing. We know where the boundaries are uh, in, in terms of, you know, what we can push on, what we don't want to push on. And, you know, I, I think they also respect the fact that I'm not coming in there saying, hey, why did you pick this guy? Like I come in there trying to understand so that the next time they want to make a roster move, like we don't have to talk about it and we can just make the move. Um, so, you know, I think that was kind of how we transitioned. It was definitely a transition period. It was rough, but it was one where we are stronger than before uh, going through it. So, um, yeah, it was it was a lot of work, man. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, yeah, you've definitely come out of it and now are one of the most expansive esports organizations in the world. The LCK team, the Soul Dynasty in the Overwatch League, the Fortnite Bumble team, the NBA 2K team, a new CSGO team. Are you guys slowing down at any point or is this just going to keep keep going? What else is next on the horizon for the company? Oh, man. So uh, I'm definitely looking in the mobile space. Right. I'm trying to figure that part out because, you know, it's going to work. Right. It's just a matter of time. Uh, But at the same time, there's a lot of traps there. Right. Of uh, Like, where does it make sense? Where does it not make sense? How can we bring value versus not bring value? Right. Um, Obviously, we we love uh, the scene, even in the U.S. and trying to figure out what kind of double downs there could be. Um, So for us right now, probably no, no major moves. But, you know, in 2020, um, I could see us moving in into something else, um, maybe like one or two things. Uh, but we we don't mind like slowing down to kind of double down, uh, at least right now. But there's, I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there that I want to take a look at and, and go deeper on. But, you know, we've been so focused on free agency and, and coming into CSGO. Uh, but as soon as we get, get through the Christmas break, like we're going to start looking again. Yeah, absolutely. The mobile space is a common thread. Whenever I ask uh, people from different organizations what they're looking at, it's like mobile. There's something here. We're not exactly sure what exactly we're going to do in this space, but we're going to do something here. So definitely it's the thing to be on the lookout. I think in 2020, that's one of the big stories. And the other massive story, which I want to ask you about real quick, I know you got to go soon, is the homestand weekends. Have you figured out uh, everything you need for the Soul Dynasty and uh, making sure that you can put on a great event when it's your turn to host this year in the OWL. Yeah, so uh, good timing because yesterday we announced, uh, was it yesterday? Two days ago? Two days ago. Two days ago, sorry. <laughs> Two days ago we announced that we are having our homestand in DDP. Uh, so for the folks that don't know what DDP is, look it up on TripAdvisor. It, it is uh, one of the biggest tourist destinations within Seoul, but it's really in the heart of Seoul, right? A historic part of Seoul. If you think about it, for the for the New York fans out there, uh, it, it would be almost as if you did something in Grand Central Station. Like, that's how important this area is uh, in the history of Seoul. Um, so we're going to be the first ever East, the global esports match that has ever been held in DDP. Uh, and so this is going to be super cool. Uh, we got some really big surprises. Uh, it, and it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be a show, right? It's almost kind of like a gaming festival and a celebration of gaming in general. Uh, and so we're really excited about it. Uh, there's going to be a guest list there that's going to have some really cool people like pro players, influencers, streamers, celebrities. Like I'm already getting, I'm getting, I'm getting hit up like crazy right now 
uh, weekly with everybody like, oh, this is cool. Like, I've never been able to go to an esports match before. Like, seems like a good excuse for me to come to Korea and, and check it all out. Um, so, you know, we're super excited about it. We got some really cool things planned. Uh, I'm actually a little worried about uh, how we're going to fit everybody in. Uh, but we'll figure something out. Well, hey, that's a pretty good problem to have when your event's so popular that you're worried about getting everybody inside of it. So that's going to be awesome. I'm really excited. I'm a little wary of some of the events being put on by places that don't have that esports experience. But like we've talked about this whole time, Genji's history, the way they've done things allows you all to uh, really have to know what it takes to put on these esports events and to make it be a great event. I, it'll be really interesting to see how all the different cities end up doing it. But it looks like you guys are pretty locked up. Yeah, and, and by the way, we're not locked up, right? We're still a startup too, so I'm sure we'll screw up a, a thing or two. But we'll, we're gonna we're a startup, so we fix them fast. Like that's kind of the mentality we have. You know, we've told everybody from top down is, look, guys, I got I want you guys to make mistakes, right? If you're not making mistakes, you know, you're not trying enough things, right? But once we make a mistake, let's all work together to fix them as fast as possible. So that's I, I have this thing I always tell everybody every quarter like you should be able to think about at least one big mistake you made. And that's kind of the pace we want to run. But also, once you have that mistake, raise your hand. Let's get everybody involved and get them on it, right? And and I also think in terms of what you said, like the ups and downs of uh, Overwatch League and, you know, some organizations that may not be able to put on a great show and some organizations that put an amazing show on, like, that's kind of part of the fun uh, of this league is that if you go into the Lakers versus, you know, uh, another team that I, want, I don't want to name a specific <laughs> one, um, but you know, the just the experience. We're fire this year, so just you can just throw it on us. It's fine. The, the game experience is going to be different, right? So, and the fan experience is going to be different, and you know, people will figure it out, right? Like, I'm actually more interested in seeing like the locker rooms, the um, the scrim rooms that other teams provide versus what they use themselves, right? Like, is there going to be some gamesmanship? Maybe the AC is not running really well. Um, that's going to be a fun part of that experience too. Yeah, I'm really excited to see all the different things. It's a really exciting time for esports. And like you said, across the board, it's going to be a learning experience. Very uh, few companies have consistently put on esports events. And so it'll be really interesting to see all the different ways uh, people engage with fans and put their brands out there. I'm really excited about it. I know you guys both are as well. So thank you so much for joining the Esports Network podcast. We appreciate you both coming on. And hopefully we can talk to you again soon, maybe as we get closer to that event and you can break down all the cool things going on at the DDP, you said it was? DDP. DDT. Oh, DDP. Awesome. I'm really excited for it. Uh, thank you both for joining the show. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mitch.